Episode 42 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today we're talking about the importance of using real-life events for training scenarios. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown. A podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, welcome back to Tactical Breakdown. Glad to be back here with you on the podcast. We just finished wrapping the International Law Enforcement Training Summit. If you haven't already checked that out, you missed the free version But don't worry, we are able to get you access to that lifetime on demand. All you have to do is go to iletsummit.com. You can check that out. Use promo code BREAKDOWN to save on the lifetime all-access pass. There's going to be over 75 hours of training content there for you, as well as so many deliverables, training resources, and uh, it's from 45 of the top instructors in the world. So make sure to check that out. Today's episode is a bit of a throwback. This was actually recorded pre-COVID. This was an episode that I recorded with my friend Chip DeBlock, who is also the host of the LEO Roundtable. I love what he does with his show. If you haven't checked it out, if you've never heard of it, go to leoroundtable.com. What they do is they take current events, they take videos that are posted online from officer-involved incidents, and they break it down with a panel. So it's really interesting to watch, and um, I would definitely recommend you check them out. So this was a conversation I had with Chip about developing training from those real-life videos that we get, whether it be body cam, CCTV, or cell phone footage, and how we can best utilize those in training. So I hope you enjoy this content. Thanks again for being here with us at The Breakdown, and we'll uh, jump into it. Here we go. I'm excited to talk about the what you guys are doing with the like the roundtable and then because your talk show because you guys take what's current what's happening now and then if it's something super relevant you decide to take it and turn it into a training video essentially that's very highly produced so I th- I'd love to talk about that process and why and how and all that kind of stuff um, and the feedback you're getting from it and where people can find it and all those types of things so okay well um, of course the talk show it's everything's found at leoroundtable.com and of course the uh, video format of what we're doing is on YouTube, but of course we have a Facebook presence, you know, we're on Twitter, but the talk show itself, you know, it's an 80 minute show that we do live on Monday evenings and all the panelists. And I, you know, really, I've come to really believe that five is probably a perfect number for a talk show, <laughs> but you know, logistically, you know, you really have to plan on having more people because there's always things that pop up at the last minute and with, and with people, you know, scattered all over the country, you know, I've got a DEA guy in Washington, DC an ATF guy in Texas. I've got a, a pretty female New York, you know, cop from up in New York. I've got, you know, Washington state. So really all over the country and, you know, my law enforcement career pretty much in centered in Florida, you know, where I'm still at. And I, you know, I was in law enforcement for 30 years with Tampa police until I retired. So we talk about the news as it affects law enforcement and we do it from a law enforcement perspective. So the good thing about that is that, you know, at the time it's a hot topic. Um, the bad side, if you will, about that is that, you know, maybe, you know, three days or a week or two weeks later, it may not be such a hot topic. You know, it's already out of the news, been replaced by something else. Now, every once in a while, we'll have a topic that's going to just last weeks or maybe months, like the Parkland shooting. You know, that's a, a perfect example and something that we covered and continue to cover on a weekly basis just for months. I mean, even now, you know, uh, the, the sheriff down there, in, you know, in South Florida, you know, um, Scott Israel, you know, he was, you know, forced out of office and, you know, he challenged it through the Florida Congress and got denied by the Senate. And now he's going to seek to get reelected again. So it's just an ongoing story. Uh, so that's the the good and the bad about, you know, coming from a news perspective. And of course, as we, we talked earlier before, you know, we started, uh, you know, the show today, you know, the, a lot of what we see trend setting in law enforcement, you know, we talk about it on our show just simply because we cover all these shootings and chases and, and everything on a, on a weekly basis. And so 
when I see these, these things, you know, we make notes about this and we'll, we've started creating what we call deadly force scenario training videos for civilians. Now the real purpose for this, even though both um, sworn law enforcement and civilians like to watch these videos, but the main purpose is so that people will not do rush to judgments when they see a social media video, because you're really getting, you know, part of the information, you know, the, the video wasn't started, you know, before the action happened. So you really don't know what, you know, led up, you know, to the altercation and you don't get to see, you know, what happened fully, you know, typically. So we'll shoot, um, we'll shoot deadly force scenario training videos, but we'll do it from different camera angles and we'll shoot everything typically at the same time. So I'll show you one shooting that goes down and you'll say clearly this is a bad shoot all day long, but then I'll show you the same shooting filmed at the same time from a different camera angle and you'll see that the bad guy had his hand on the cop's gun or maybe he had a knife or something else was going on. You say, oh, wow, that was really good shooting. You know, after all, I know there's one particular scenario that we have where we'll get you jumping around three different times and saying it's a, a good shoot, bad shoot and then a good shoot um, just because of um, the elements. And a lot of these are based off of real events that have happened. Um, the one I told you where you're you're jumping all over the place that happened in, uh, in Fresno, California, where a. Um, two cops, you know, pulled over a guy. Um, I think it was on the interstate. He gets out of his car. He starts walking away from the cops and he turns, he starts walking towards me as his right hand behind his back. Cops are yelling at him to stop. Now one cop has got a shotgun. The other one's got a sidearm and they're telling him to stop. He's not listening. Then all of a sudden he pulls his hand out from behind his back and he points it at the cops very quickly and, you know, they blow him away. Now we recreate that scenario uh, because, you know, cops have, been justified in that scenario. You don't, if you sit and wait for the bad guy to pull the gun, point it uh, at you and then pull the trigger. And if the guy has any good aim at all, you're a dead man. There's absolutely no way that you can respond in time uh, to save your life. If that guy is any, anything of a, of a, of a good shot. So um, that's just a, that's just a fact. And that's undisputable. They've done just too many clinical studies, hard evidence, you know, that supports that. That being the, the fact of the case, you know, we recreated that scenario. Bad guy gets out. We have two cops. They're drawn down on the guy and he reaches in his uh, back pocket and you see him grabbing a black object. And all of a sudden he whips it out very quickly and, you know, points it at the police officers. They both light him up and you you say, oh, wow, that's a that's a great shoot all day long. He grabbed the you know black gun out of his pocket. But then we do a, a freeze frame and zoom in on the object and you see it's actually a black wallet that the guy had in his right rear pants pocket. So now you're at, oh, wow, that was a bad shoot after all that. And then we open up the wallet and show you that it's actually a wallet gun. Now it's classified by ATF as any other weapon. So it's a restricted weapon that most people cannot have. Now we got a hold of one and we actually, when we did the filming, we did not have the gun in the wallet. Um, but when we open that, we show you that it's actually a wallet built to hold a small Derringer type firearm. And that's the specific purpose. It's got a hole in the wallet, you know, where the um, trigger is so you can access the gun while it's still inside the wallet and fire it with great accuracy. So um, so once you see that gun in the wallet, it changes your opinion for the third time. You say, wow, that was a good shoot all the time. So that's an example of one way we get to kind of bounce around. Yeah, it's such an interesting scenario. If you're listening to this right now and uh, you want to watch it, if you go to leoroundtable.com, uh, the video is on that uh, on that website. And I'm going to make I'll make sure we do a direct link to it in the show notes page and, and on the on the website so you guys can get direct access to it. Because It's a really interesting video to watch. And like you said, from it depends on what angle the, you're looking at it from as a witness or a bystander greatly affects your opinion on on what that shoot looks like and i think it really draws into play a lot of a lot of thoughts on my end when we talk about you know eyewitness accounts of things and we talk about all of the types of technology that are recording around us when we're we have officers out on patrol right you have your body cams you have dash cams you have cctv you have bystanders with cell phones you have all of these things happening at once and you know it's it really makes for extremely dynamic scenarios and very difficult uh, decision-making processes for officers when they're in the field. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know what? It's, it's different for everybody. You know, you, it's really impossible to know what's going on in the mind of that police officer, you know, what the level of threat is. And you know what, what is a level of threat 
uh, for me, myself in a given situation is going to be different for somebody else. And, you know, while we're talking about that, especially uh, so for a female officer, you know, there was always a joke, um, you know, when I was working about, you know, bad guys would say, hey, I'd, I'd rather be, um, you know, stopped or getting a scrap with a male officer instead of a female because, you know, Female officers are typically justified in using lethal force before a male officer is. You know, they're not strong, that maybe they're smaller, um, you know, and the guy presents more of a danger to her than he would a male officer, maybe the, the same size as the bad guy. You know, skill sets, you know, come into, uh, come into play too. You know, um, when you're a cop, a lot of people really don't realize that, uh, you know, according to the law and your training, you don't find a, uh, the bad guy in a level playing field. If he wants to duke it out with you fist to fifths, you go up to an impact weapon. You're going to be having an expandable baton. You're going to have some other level of force that's going to be one step above what the bad guy has. So if he has a stick you know, or a metal pipe or he has an impact weapon, then you're going to escalate it and you're going to go to your firearm to a potential deadly force situation. So you're always one step ahead of the bad guy. Um you know, the only difference might be if, uh, you know, you're a third degree black belt and you thought that you could really take the guy going the hand to hand, you know, you as the officer might make that decision, you know, to do that. But you're justified in being one step above the bad guy and rightfully so. Use of force is a really interesting topic. And, you know, what you were bringing up there, the, the one plus one model or ladder model of use of force theory. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's it's different from where you are, but I know, you know, up here in Canada, we use a continuum, which essentially is a circular model where you can enter and and leave the continuum at any point, depending on the circumstances as they arise. But also there's talk of actually going away from the continuums altogether and using them more as a guideline. Kind of what you said there too, is it really, you have to take into all the factors when you're talking about these use of force incidents, not only you're talking about the officer, the level of training the officer has, but we're talking if it is it you know one officer one subject is it multiple officer multiple subjects is it two on one three on one four on one on either side is there environmental things that are happening are you you know up here is it minus 50 outside or is it plus 40 outside like there's all these different factors that come into play not least of all what's happening on the offender side of things right is that offender known to you are they known to carry weapons do they have current warrants out for certain things Do they have a certain level of ability that's known or perceived? When we talk about training officers and use of force, you know, you always, every instructor has that story where you talk about that guy who has the cauliflower ears and all the scars on his face and all this stuff. And it's like, is that guy more dangerous or less dangerous? And again, it comes down to, it depends. It depends on that officer's perception of it. For me, for example, if I see somebody with a, like a face that looks like he's been in a hundred fights, In my mind, I automatically go to, well, this guy obviously doesn't know how to block very well. So I have an opening, right? But some people may get intimidated by it. So it's so interesting to see how all these, these use of force models actually come into play. And then on the investigative side afterwards, you know, especially when we talk about oversight committees and we talk about use of force investigations, whether it be with IAB or whatever. There's so many portions that go into it. And so it's very interesting to me that you're creating these videos that show multiple angles of the same scenario so that and it's and it please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really more for the general public um, that are seeing these videos so that they can see like, oh, my God, there are a lot of different ways that people can see this. And maybe my way of seeing it wasn't necessarily correct because I don't have all the facts. Is that right? Well, that's true. It, it really is. I mean, look, the, the, the cops, I mean, look, it's made by it's made by cops. And uh, and we have, a you know, all of our actors and stuff, you know, primarily are, are police officers, you know, active or retired. You know, but that said, remember that the people that are putting these videos, not the ones that I'm making, but the initial videos on social media, there's typically an agenda with that. You know, a lot of times those tapes have been edited or maybe they're not edited. Maybe they were just simply, you know, started, you know, after the altercation or whatever the event is, is already going on. You don't have any idea what led up to that. And that is crucial, crucial information to have when making a determination of whether or not, you know, it's a justifiable use of force or not. So that's why, you know, you know, still doing shows. I have mayors and police chiefs that prematurely, 
uh, give a judgment, you know, to the, you know, through the media, you know, to the public about it, something being wrong with it. It was horrible. It looked bad. We don't, we don't do it that way. It was unjustified. And before the investigation has, has been completed much less barely after, you know, barely even been started, you know, they're making these, you know, these rush the judgments, which is unfortunate because, you know, we've, we're, we're, we have our hands full just trying to get the, the general public from doing these rush to judgments. And when you have the agency heads, you know, or the, uh, or the, the mayors, you know, doing the same thing, it's just, it, it's just unfortunate. I'm excited to talk about this. And I know this is something and that you have a lot of experience in because you guys do a weekly show where you do review current events that are happening in the news and you do get to you do show news clips and and things like this that get released by the media and it's really important and i think i think it is really important for people to start realizing that the stuff that's shown on the in media that's released is usually not the entire <laughs> the entire video or not even the the correct circumstance or in the correct context of what actually happened um i'll give a quick example i had um and, and without giving out too many details. So I had uh, some people that I knew back home. What happened was there was an incident at a bar. So these two guys were working at the bar. They were working as bartenders. And there was a gentleman inside the bar. And he began harassing um, some of the female patrons to the point of physical contact. So they asked him to leave. Right. They kicked him out of the bar. Um, and he was continuing, like, trying to start stuff outside, start stuff outside. So these guys exit the bar. Um, and they're telling him and his buddies to leave, get out of here. The guy instigates a fight with them as far as actually throwing a punch with them. And so they lay him out, right? And here's the thing. The guy was maybe 180 pounds, and these guys were both um, former offensive linemen. So you can imagine how well that fight went for the, the bad guy. Anyways, somebody had been videoing the incident, but by the time they pulled out their cell phone, it was only to the part where the two guys were basically laying this guy out and his buddy for, you know, after they had started the fight, this video goes to court. Anyway, these guys end up getting charged and convicted of assault because that was the only evidence to the crime. And it didn't show anything, any of the precursors, nothing that happened beforehand, none of the instigation on the other person's side. There was some very real repercussions from it. This happens every single day to officers all around the world is that people pull out their cameras. They don't get any of the uh, the precursor events, nothing that leads into the actual altercation. And it shows the, the last 30 seconds, last 15 seconds of the altercation where the, the officer actually gains control and wins the scenario. And I'm sure that's what you see all the time, right? When you guys are going through these videos, that's what, is that what you guys are seeing right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, the only difference I would say, I mean, well, first off, that was a great example that you used that, that is uh, that's typical. And, uh, and, and so I, yeah, I can see that's just a great example on on how it can happen. Um, now, over here in the in the U.S., you know, normally, you know, there, I mean, with an investigation or whatever, I I don't see guys being convicted in court as far as police officers or even even uh, guys that are acting in a legitimate way, even though there might be video evidence that doesn't support them because it doesn't have all the information. Normally, through interviewing witnesses and stuff and going to court and stuff, they would be found innocent of any, you know, or wouldn't even be charged, you know, after something like that. So I'm kind of disappointed to hear that those, you know, two uh, former linemen were, uh, were, you know, were sentenced, you know, and convicted on something that, you know, should have been justified. But yeah, I see it. We see a lot of stuff like that that goes on. And so, but it's normally the damage is being done through social media. And that is uh, the, you know, it's the opinion that the, that the general public gets by coming to the rush of judgments after watching the social media stuff. So that's what we're trying to prevent. And there's just been so much of it um, ever since, um, you know, Ferguson, um, you know, Michael Brown, ever since that went down, we have just seen so much stuff that has been purposely, you know, interjected into the social media formats so that they can, you know, change the public opinion about law enforcement. That's what really we find troubling and, and it's unfair. And we want people to make educated decisions, not stuff that's slanted, you know, with an agenda on social media. It's interesting, especially from a Canadian perspective. I mean, we get a lot of your news, probably 50% of what we get is is coming from the U.S. I mean, the people that are interested are up to date on, on a lot of the issues that do happen. As far as, you know, you were saying, it seems like there's a lot more politicking, I guess you could would be the phrase, when it comes to 
these types of incidents in the U.S., mainly because certain law enforcement officers, higher ups in, in the U.S., please correct me if I'm wrong, are elected into office versus promoted up through the ranks um, the way it is, you know, here in, in Canada. Usually the officers will work their way up through promotions all the way up to to the chief where the chief would be basically hired or selected by the mayor of the city or the city council. But some in, in some places in the U.S. that these um, sheriffs and, and things like that are actually elected by the community. Is that right? Well, I mean, they they are elected. I don't see that as the as the reason for the problem just for. And, and again, you know, I've you know, I'm uh, what turning 58 in, a, in in what, two days here. So I've been here for a long time in the U.S. Um, so, of course, our sheriffs or elected officials, the police chiefs are appointed, but they're appointed by an elected official, typically the mayor. The problem I see is just, I see it facilitated, you know, by the media. And uh, and there are people that have some political agendas, but whether you're appointed or elected, uh, that can still play for you in the same way because you've got an elected official, you know, that appointed you to that position. And so you still got, you know, you're still playing the same game. So uh, if the media did not give them so much of this airtime. I mean, let's face it, look at look at Ferguson. Look at what happened with, uh, you know, Michael Brown and how the officer, Darren Wilson, everything was completely justified. I mean, Michael Brown, who does a strong arm robbery, commits a felony, and then he gets stopped by, you know, this officer and gets him in the car. And then there's a, you know, fight over the officer's weapon. There's a discharge in the car. And then Michael Brown, you know, leaves the car and the officer draws down and Michael Brown, you know, or bad guy who's committed... Um, a felony, you know, strong arm robbery. And he's also uh, committed felonies in the car with the officer, you know, while they're fighting over the officer's gun. And now he charges the officer and the officer, you know, uh, fatally shoots him, com- all completely justified. Arguably, the officer uh, could have, you know, shot and killed him, you know, in the car um, a lot sooner if, if he would have been able to and have been completely justified as well. But then we have people that were lying and even the department, the the Department of Justice, the DOJ, revealed in interviews that people on the sidelines just watching, saying, you know, hands up, don't shoot. All that was made up, and those were just lies. They finally got to the truth. But, of course, there are, there's an element in society that that does not want to reveal uh, the outcome of the investigation, that people were lying to try to make it look like there was excessive force by police officers. So you've got uh, an officer, Darren Wilson, that did everything right, but he had to get out of law enforcement, he had to move, and I believe he even had to change his name for his safety because of threats that he was getting. So, But the media helped push that agenda. And I just wish people would say, you know, when you talk to a, a chief or sheriff and there's an investigation, you know, they would say, hey, look, we need to wait until we get all the facts and the investigations, you know, completed. It might take one month. It might take three months. But after that, we'll have full disclosure. We'll show the videos and we'll give you, you know, all the information. We don't see that enough. I, I I will say that I am seeing a slight improvement of that. I have been impressed with some police leaders that are now saying the exact terminology that I just that I just relayed to you, which is what they should be saying instead of you know making judgments before they have all the facts and they've been analyzed. So, um, but we just don't see it enough yet. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a shift in the culture of of what is released and when it's released, and I think people are being a lot more cognizant and and realizing that. Releasing information too early without having a totality, a total grip of the circumstance um, is doing serious detriment uh, and and really is really not working on the officer's behalf, especially if they are um, justified in what they're doing. So I think that's a great point. You run the risk of not only tainting the investigation, because remember, the people that are typically doing the investigation, they're working for you being the agency head. So not only do you run the risk of you know tainting that investigation, putting pressure on these people who come with a predetermined outcome that you've determined in the media, uh, but you're also um, sabotaging this officer's reputation. So let's say that the officer ultimately ends up getting cleared, but you've already slammed him in the eye of the media and the public and who may or may not remember that you were cleared or they may not even get that information from the media because the media just wants to get it out there that you possibly use excessive force because, you know, the mayor, or the police chief or the sheriff said that you did so or implied that you did in their opinion. So, uh, yeah, so you could get screwed either way, even if you do everything right, like Officer Darren Wilson, you could still end up getting screwed. Even if you get um, um, justified in the investigation because you've got these political leaders that just throw that out there. And so there's always a question mark with your reputation. Do you think there's any way for an officer to 
I don't want to say shield or protect themselves from that, but I mean, and, and this is going to go into a wholly, totally different conversation. So we don't need to go all the way down the rabbit hole on it, but is there any way that an officer can kind of protect themselves in these types of incidents when they happen? And like, what, what should they be cognizant of, you know, immediately following these incidents when it comes to news media or um, releasing information and things like that? What, what do you think that, officers should be doing after these types of incidents? Well, I, I think for starters that an officer should always assume that you are being recorded audio and visually everywhere you go, everything that you do. I think that you should just assume that there's going to be a video and an audio tape of everything that you that you do and say. Um, that said, not everybody's unionized. I, I am very uh, pro-union. Uh, my last six years, I actually was an executive officer as a secretary with our uh, our union uh, down here in Florida, the PBA. But it really takes someone that knows that element. You know, that officer is going to need some help. I don't really recommend officers, you know, talking one on one with the media. You really have to know what you're doing. And, you know, and you just I mean, to be honest with you, you cannot always trust the media. They do not always have your best interest, you know, in mind. And. And even regardless, most agencies have policies now that will heavily restrict you if you do talk to the media. And if you do, um, you're going to suffer repercussions for it. And I can't really argue with that because if you've got a, a SOP, a standard operating procedure or a, a you know, general regulation that prohibits you from talking to the media without department approval, which most agencies have today, um, and you do that, you know, I can't really blame the agency for coming, you know, after you for that. The only exception I can say is that if you do talk to the media and it's one of those things where you were just so totally wronged by your agency that where the public perception for the agency to come after you and to further, you know, discipline you for something that you've already got screwed on. Uh, that would be the only exception I can think where you might come out, you know, better than where you went in. Otherwise, um, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend letting the union or an attorney do that for you. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, af, uh, at the time, it, this episode is going to come out right after we actually uh, do our live uh, instructors roundtable on uh, officer-involved shootings, uh, and that's so on on the twenty seventh of February. So it's really interesting because these are a lot of the same topics that have come up in the the kind of the precursor to this episode that we're doing, which is all of the things that you just mentioned, right? Having, you know, making sure that you are actually represented correctly um, is important because it's that one, that one little thing that you thought was insignificant when you, you know, made a joke to your buddy that it was like, oh, well, yeah, he deserved it or whatever. Like you said, if you're being recorded, whether it's on your body cam, their body cam, the dash cam, someone's cell phone or whatever, you're, that's, that's not going to go so well for you. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. Well, I mean, most recently I can think of, we had a, um, we had a couple that decided to engage in some sexual activity and they didn't know either the body camera, uh, was on and they didn't know it or while they were moving around, the body camera was activated. And I think it was audio only, but that's, that's all you needed to figure out what was going on. And if you're on duty and doing that, uh, that's, that's a fireball offense typically. And it can also get you decertified to where you can never get a job in law enforcement again, typically. Yikes. Oh, well, I hope it was worth it. Hey, well, what, a way, what a way to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, listen, if you're going to get fired, it might as well be for something like that. Um, you know, in this job, there's only a few things that'll get you really jammed up to where you lose your job. And one of them is lying, you know, under oath and uh, and uh, sex on duty is another thing. And, and the only other thing I can think of is, is prescription drugs that you're taking and they're not prescribed to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's let's take that. Let's shift gears a little bit here. I mean, you you your show has been going on for quite some time now, and I've I've had a chance since I found you. Um, you and I got kind of in touch a couple months ago, and since then I've had a chance to go through and kind of go through your back catalog on YouTube, and I've been watching a lot of what you guys have been doing. There are some incidents that have come up that are actually kind of humorous. There's there's some things that you guys cover that are it's 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 interesting that it would make the news in the first place. Are there any stories in the in let's talk like more recently. Is there any stories recently that you feel um, you're like, why is this even a thing? Why, why are agencies or officers being dragged into something like this? Well, I mean, you, you said funny. I mean, the, on, on, on that note, the first thing that comes to mind are these, 
these videos where guys are being tasered and they're being hit with pepper spray at the same time. And they're going up in a ball of flames. I mean, and, and we're, <laughs> we have, and I, and I don't want to laugh because I get the audience, you know, cops have got a weird sense of humor. Uh, but the first one we covered was in France where a, a French officer was trying to keep this guy that was bleeding who kept, you know, was agitated and trying to touch the officer and the guy's bleeding. They're, tr- they're trying to hold him still until an ambulance gets there. But they end up having to use force on the guy because he's just getting too belligerent, too, too violent with the cops. And so um, I guess you got one cop that decides to hose him down with OC uh, pepper spray and another cop decides to taser him at the same time. And. You know, supposedly they didn't get the memo in France about not having a or about having a non-flammable carrier agent. Remember um, how they had alcohol based carrier agents and they've changed that so that it wouldn't be, you know, flammable. Well, anyhow, it didn't work there. So when they hosed him down with the OC pepper spray and hit him with a taser at the same time, you know, he went up in a ball of flames. And we have since seen that happen um, here in the States a a number of times. And uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't know. It makes for. uh, you know, they're, they're bad guys. The flames put out. There's really very little damage done to the bad guy other than the just the drama of seeing that unfold. So you'll have some um, humorous parts of our show when we cover, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, most of the stuff that we cover now, there's just so much to cover that is covered with uh, video and audio. We typically a lot of the stuff we cover, unless it's a main story, something that's on the you know national level, maybe involving involving politics or just a you know a huge story like a new Supreme Court of the United States decision that affects law enforcement. A lot of our stuff has got video attached to it, so it's a fight, it's a chase, it's something that's going to be dramatic that you actually get to watch um, that will embed in the show. Yeah, I'm sorry to our listeners that you don't get to watch any sweet video uh, when you're listening to these podcasts, but say uh, la vie. Here's the thing. So again, I don't know everything. I've never actually heard of um, that being an issue where you have the the uh, electrical currents actually setting off the alcohol and the OC sprays and, and setting a guy on fire. So that's I'm going to be Googling that. That's happening right after we're done here. I'm going to be watching all of those videos. You you brought up certain things like national level news. And I mean, if... I don't want to get too far into certain things because I mean, this is, you know, like your show is a weekly news show and you bring up current events. This podcast is more of a a long form um, kind of evergreen content for people to listen to as a resource, but there's some pretty serious things that are happening right now in the United States um, on a, on a national level when it comes to, to police officers. Um, One being obviously in New York, uh, the other thing being with um, a lot of the gun control issues and a lot of the things that are happening. So are, do you want to talk to either of those? Do you have any opinions on on either what's happening with the bail reform or with the with the gun control? Well, certainly. Um, and you're right. We have covered the bail reform laws um, from New York, how they're affecting law enforcement. You know, the uh, police leaders that we've been, um, you know, quoting, you know, on the show um, understand uh, why things are getting so far out of control in places like New York, because they've, uh, you know, by letting the criminals, you know, out of jail and just, it's almost like a reward system for doing, uh, for doing bad and evil things. It's really the cops hands are tied. So they've really created a, uh, the perfect storm, if you will, over in New York. Um, so you've got, you know, that going on, you've got, um, the sanctuary city stuff that's going on where you've got, uh, the DOJ now is going after those cities and trying to force them to be uh, cooperative. But then you've got some um, liberal judges, some federal judges uh, that are trying to prevent the United States um, from putting sanctions against those cities. So it's just uh, it's an it's some interesting fallout. And then, of course, the cops are, you know, are, uh, are caught in the middle. You know, uh, so you've got your California cities and stuff and you've got the agency heads and the uh, and the um you know, in the, in the mayors and the governor's gotten in on some of this to where they just don't want them to cooperate uh, with ICE at all, as far as, you know, rounding up, you know, illegals and ultimately deporting them. And, you know, we're talking about um, wanted criminals that are illegal aliens that we're talking about, you know, deporting out of the United States. So. Yeah. One of the things that I do want to just mention real quick is for anybody listening to this, one thing is, and everybody who's listened to the show before knows this, this isn't a political show. And in, I'm not going to take a side either way and on however it goes. And it's, it's interesting coming from um, a country outside of the United States. So all of our listeners in Commonwealth countries or other countries. And then also, you know, there are, let's, let's be honest, there are law enforcement officers in 
the United States that are on both sides of the fence when it comes to a lot of these issues as well. And But the biggest thing for what I want to do with the show and the reason why I brought it up was because these things are actively right now affecting the safety of the officers on the street. And that's the, that's the most important thing. And, and Chip, I know that's why you do what you do. And that's why I do what I do here is to help protect the men and women in uniform when they go to work, when they're on patrol, when they're out dealing with these types of incidents. And now they have, it's almost like, it's like, here's another challenge that we're going to throw at you from above this time. Um, so it's not just the criminals you're dealing with, but now you got to watch your, watch your P's and Q's because if you step out of line, now it's going to come from the government as well. Um, that can be, it puts our officers in a very difficult position and it's, it's kind of frustrating to watch um, like uh, on my, from my perspective anyway. So I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on it are. I can respect you don't want to take a, a position on this. Um, and, and I was going to crack a joke and say, well, thanks for volunteering uh, Canada. We can start sending all of these illegal aliens that are criminal <laughs> to Canada now. But, Bring uh, it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, I tell you what, I've, um, in 30 years of law enforcement, working with a, a ton of agencies, including agencies, including federal agencies, um, I really believe, and, and again, I've, I've, uh, I've started a online, you know, website, a, uh, you know, a, a major online website for law enforcement that's uh, probably the third largest in the world now. And I've had, you know, this talk show, and again, with working with law enforcement for as long as I have, I really believe that um, it's not even close as far as the amount of law enforcement in the United States is on the fence on this. I think by and, by and large, the large, vast majority of law enforcement um, support the efforts to not only prosecute these guys, uh, but to deport illegal um, aliens, you know, out of the U.S. And they, and they want to step up to the plate and do what they consider their job and help their federal uh, brothers and sisters, you know, the ICE agents who are tasked with that job. And not just from a safety perspective, and of course, that's extremely important, but just because they believe that it's the right thing to do. Remember, cops, as cops, we see things in black and white very clearly, right and wrong. And that's just, it's just something that is just inbuilt in us. So, um, so I, I very rarely run into a cop that is that, that feels differently from what I just described to you. Now you have some, I'll call them political leaders. Maybe they're a governor, maybe they're a mayor, and, and maybe they're a, uh, a sheriff. And I'll call him a political figure because he's elected. And maybe they're a police chief um, over in you know San Francisco that was appointed by the mayor. Um, so I'll, I'll still consider him a political figure since he's he, he serves at the pleasure of the mayor. Besides those entities that might feel differently, by and large, uh, the cops that I've known and worked with over the years and who I've, you know, heard or contacted through my websites and stuff, you know, they feel the way we do. We all, we feel predominantly the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. And maybe just to lay a little bit of a, a background for people that are listening to this and maybe don't know exactly what we're talking about. The, just the last little bit of the conversation has been about the sanctuary cities in the United States where there have been illegal immigrants. And essentially it's been a battle on both sides of the line where obviously the law enforcement agents, both federally and uh, municipally or statewide are trying to find the illegal immigrants that are, in, or there are people that are in the country illegally doing bad things and they're trying to remove them. But there's a push on the political side to offer protection to anybody who's in the country, regardless of if you're in the country legally or not. Is that correct? Oh yes, but it doesn't. It doesn't stop there. And again, not to over politicize this, but no, no. Um, just if you could, yeah. But if you could lay just it, maybe just explain a little bit of the situation, the context, because I mean, there are people listening to this in in other countries, and and they may not understand completely what the situation is in in the U.S. right now. Well, there is an element, as you just um, described, that not only wants to, I'm going to say, embrace this criminal element, and there it's a criminal element. So we're not just talking about people who are. Um, leaving a country with the best of intentions and looking to uh, to further their lives and make things better for themselves and for the place they've decided to, to move to. And again, you know, the United States, there there's a legal way in order to take up residency in the United States if you're willing to play by the rules. So we're talking about people who consciously made a decision to not play by the rules. Uh, they're illegal aliens, immigrants, you know, in the United States, but they're but 
we're talking about the criminal element here as well. So these guys are are being embraced by some of these sanctuary cities. And yes, they want to give them uh, a sanctuary place to stay where they cannot be touched by law enforcement. Um, they're going to give them driver's licenses. They're going to give them food. They're going to give them shelter, places to stay. Um, they're going to give them uh, medical care. In fact, you know, so many people across the country pay pay so much money just for health care. I mean, myself, I pay somewhere between sixteen uh, to $1,800 a month to have the health care that I have. Now, that's a lot of money. And that's just for myself and my wife, for two people. And it's, it's that much money. But there are people who are criminals and illegal that are getting this for free. And because they hold that status, and that's the only reason why they're getting that, which just blows my mind and most cops that I know, and actually most of the citizens that I know too. Yeah, just to just to clarify, we're we're not saying that they it's not like they have um immunity if they're if they're caught committing any type of crime, um they they're still responsible for it under the the penal codes and things like that in the United States. But what we're saying is that there isn't it's it's um they don't want a cooperation between the local police agency and a federal agency like ICE to then, after whatever the criminal process has happened, to deport them back to their home country. Is that right? Well, that that is correct. But there have been some efforts to protect them, to shield them from being caught by law enforcement as well, though. Okay. okay. Which, is, which, which is sad. But but yeah, you're but you're you're right. The most common is that. When ICE is seeking to deport them, and there may be many reasons for deporting people, but we're just really concentrating right now on the criminal element here. So, yeah, you come to our country, maybe you're illegal, but now you're committing crimes. You know, ICE, you know, Customs, uh, Immigration and Customs, you know, Enforcement, they want to get rid of you. They want to get you out of this country as, you know, as it should be. But there are places of sanctuary that are willing to hide you and protect you. Um, and, uh yeah, and, and it's 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 being delegated all the way down through the ranks of law enforcement now because their leaders are telling them to 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 come on board with that system and then not cooperate with the federal authorities. So now subpoenas are being issued. Um, there's an effort to um, get more information, uh, give it to the feds. But of course, people are not complying as long as you've got those liberal judges, you know, out there. And um, I, I think it's in the uh, in what the uh, I'm trying to think of the judicial circuit out there in San Francisco and stuff. Is it the 11th judicial circuit? I can't, I can't be sure, but anyhow, you've got some liberal judges over there. They're allowing it to happen. So it, it makes it very difficult for law enforcement to do their job. From a officer perspective, from a safety perspective, where, I mean, and, and I mean, I know it's difficult because you're, I mean, you're out in Florida um, to talk about what's happening on, you know, in across the country, but, is there anything from an officer perspective that they could do to, to maybe kind of help protect themselves so that, you know, they're, they're not caught up in these types of things or is it kind of just, it, there's really no good answer right now. You know, other than, you know, having a, you know, let's, let me just mention body cameras, you know, um, for a long while, a lot of us were apprehensive about wearing body cameras. We didn't want body cameras. We saw nothing really good coming out of it. And I, I will have to say, I'll have to admit that I have changed my tune on body cameras, which can come to the aid of what you're talking about, can help justify the officer's actions. I've seen body cameras by far. The people on our panel can, can vouch with me on this, that they have cleared cops much more than gotten them in the grease on stuff. Now, we've seen body cameras at the same time help get rid of bad cops because, you know, the good cops want the bad guys out of there, out of here just as much as everybody else, if not more so, because they make us all look bad. So I would say that body cameras um, go a long way to make that happen. Now, you've got some agencies now that are saying, no, we don't want, you know, we don't want body cameras still. But I'm telling you that it is a great thing. Uh, for an agency and it helps it, it helps with the community relations as well you know you've got that full disclosure going on now like you're not trying to hide anything by being willing to have your uniform officers i'm not talking about your undercovers and people that really shouldn't have it for obvious reasons but um, that will go a long way uh, another thing i'll say is that it's something that i did when i used to do my undercover my intelligence work when i worked sensitive investigations i used to keep a log a journal on everything that i did because you know, when you're being accused of something that you did one 
two, three years ago, it's very difficult to go back and kind of recreate, you know, what you did, who you were with, what you did, what you said, dates, times. So if you've got a log on that and that, I know I'm asking a lot or suggesting a lot, uh, but I've had it save, uh, save me, um, in an investigation before. So if you're doing something that you think could, could land you in, in, in some implications like that, I would highly recommend that if you can't wear a body camera, if that's something your agency doesn't allow you to do, because, uh, um, if you go on your own and you start recording people's, you know, audio without their permission, you know, in a lot of States, like in Florida, that's a third degree felony. So you can't do that. So I would, I would recommend keeping notes, even if you have to do a digital recorder and record your vo- voice when you're on your way home from work and just say, Hey, I did this, I did that today. And here's who I was with just as a little CYA that would go a long way. That's really interesting. That brings me kind of back into the, the, what we were talking about earlier about you, you and your panel get to go through all these videos and you, you round table, um, all of these different scenarios that happen. And you brought up a few things. So one is, you know, if you have body cams, you know, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. So take advantage of it. If you have it, if you don't have that, your fallback would be making sure that you make detailed notes and, and keeping track of things that you're doing. What other things can officers do to protect themselves, um, from, you know, maybe one of these bad outcomes when it comes to being caught on camera doing something that the public may find incorrect until an investigation would clear them. Well, you know, number one, don't lie. You know, lying will get you fired automatically and may even ruin your chances of getting a job anywhere in law enforcement, even if you get fired from the agency. So definitely recommend, you know, not lying. Um, the other thing would be, you know, you've got, if you, if you cannot unionize, um, it doesn't mean that you cannot hire a union or a law firm. They've even got these uh, groups that will represent you um, in case you get accused of something. So it's always smart to have some kind of representation available to yourself. So even though your agency may not be unionized, you know, which really means they're not going to be bartering for, you know, benefits and better pay for you. It does not mean that you cannot have an attorney with you or be represented by an attorney that simply provides that service for you. If you're ever in the grace that includes internal affairs investigations, which are typically non-criminal and that includes criminal investigations. And typically if you're accused of something that's going to be criminal in nature, that internal affairs, that civil investigation is going to be done first. And then they're not going to begin the criminal until that civil investigation is concluded. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't, I personally don't know enough about that process. So every time I get a chance to, to pick someone's brain on it, I, uh, I always appreciate it. One of the things that I did want to talk about is you guys are kind of doing something really interesting with training and with video. And so what I wanted to talk about is you guys are creating when, when all these situations come up or maybe an interesting uh, use of force or deadly force encounter type uh, situation comes up and you get a chance to break it down. You guys are actually creating videos that are training videos for officers. Like we said before, for the public, but for officers, can we talk a little bit about the process? Um, what, first of all, why you started doing it and kind of your process as to when you choose to make them and then how you make them. Well, you're talking about the, uh, the deadly force scenario training videos. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And those are, those are pretty much the ones that we've, that we've, you know, um, already talked about. It was really the, you know, like after Michael Brown with the focusing thing, we started seeing a lot of videos that were, you know, going on social media and people in the news media making some rush to judgments that simply were not accurate and they weren't fair either because the investigation hadn't even started. And you've already got people, you know, on the news saying that it was a bad shoot. So we wanted to correct that issue and then just inform people basically that, hey, this is there's so many possibilities on what could have you know gone wrong and gone right in the officer's favor on these things that you just need to really hold your rush the judgments and wait till all the facts come out. So that's why we started you know creating these uh, deadly deadly force scenario training videos so that people could watch the video and think, hey, this is a bad shoot all day long and couldn't see any possible way that this could be legitimized, justified, and then we show them through a video shot at the same exact time. It was just as something, something as simple as a, as an angle, a camera angle could change, completely change the outcome of a deadly force scenario. And, uh, 
and we're just talking about deadly force scenarios. I mean, there's so many fightings uh, and chases that go on uh, that people get bad videos on. But we're just just simply talking about the, the deadly ones. I mean, just imagine if we were going to do this for every type of encounter law enforcement has. So all I'm saying is, is that being in law enforcement, knowing everything that could possibly, you know, happen. Uh, if you show me a scenario, there's very few scenarios that I'll ever see where I'll say, undoubtedly, it was a bad shoot or it was a bad use of force because there's just so many options, things that could have happened that you're just simply unaware of that would have justified the action by the police officer, whether or not it was lethal or not. And you simply cannot do those rush the judgments prematurely uh, without getting egg on your face, potentially. When you guys start putting the videos together, when you see one of these situations come up, where where do you start to develop these these videos? Where does the theory behind it come from? Is it to, I mean, I'm assuming the the purpose of it isn't necessary to exonerate the the person that was involved in the scenario, but it's to educate other officers as to why this is happening the way it is. Well, true. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I typically try not to recreate a scenario um, like the one in Fresno, California, I described earlier. I don't think it's advantageous to recreate those for a number of reasons. The first and most important one, I think, is that you're never going to exactly duplicate the scenario. For instance, the one in Fresno, one cop, I believe, had a shotgun and the other one had a pistol. And the uh, when I recreated it, I didn't have a shotgun handy. So I used uh, two pistols and they were, uh, you know, they weren't real guns, you know. So, you know, you kind of use what you have, but, you know, you want to be close. So you'll see a few scenarios that are recreated. But when you start seeing a lot of things, for instance, before the show, I told you that I'm seeing a lot of issues right now with police shooting at moving vehicles and from moving vehicles. And that's something that you might see in some of our scenarios coming up. So we're not going to uh, grab the specific incident that happened and try to recreate it because again, it's going to be, it's going to be nearly impossible to recreate it, but we'll get one, we'll create one like it and maybe encompass a bunch of the elements of all the other ones that we've seen just to kind of give people an idea on, Hey, if you're in the situation, this is something, this is how you could properly handle it. And this is maybe some examples on how it's been handled inappropriately in the past. And we've, we do do that with some scenarios. We'll show, we'll give you options and we'll show you how it's maybe handled in one way. For instance, um, a lot of people think you cannot shoot an unarmed guy or that an unarmed guy is not going to be a bad guy. That is totally unrealistic, totally false, and uh, it could not be further from the truth. There are all kinds of situations where you could justifiably um, use deadly force against someone who is not armed, and rightfully so. Let's say that you've got your gun, your firearm, you're doing a building check. Let's say you're in a jewelry store. And actually, this actually happened in one of the scenarios, uh, a real life scenario that we covered a video on. We had, I think it was a deputy inside of a jewelry store. I think it was a burglary alarm call. But, you know, a lot of these alarm calls, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, you're going to go to alarm call and it's going to be a dud. It's going to be a zero. There's, you know, just a, a bad contact or a false alarm or whatever. But on this particular one, the burglar was still in there. So the deputy pulls out his firearm and draws down on the guy. Guy's not compliant. Uh, so the deputy makes the mistake of approaching the guy and he goes to holster the gun. But before he gets his gun holstered, now the guy's fighting with him. So now they're fighting over a gun because the deputy um, didn't get the gun holstered. But he, his problem was is that he went to holster a firearm when he had a situation where he had a burglar in a place he should have just waited for backup at gunpoint. Or if the guy approached him, if you have your firearm out and you're being approached, you do not want to get in the fight over fi over a uh, over a firearm. You have the right to use lethal force, and that would mean, yeah, shooting a bad guy that's approaching you because he's going to be trying to disarm you and take that gun from you. Um, so we've uh, recreated a situation like that. We kind of showed what happens if you don't take the shot, and then we've shown what does happen when you take the shot. Of course, you would have to articulate it properly. You would have to be in fear of your life, and. Um, but that, that, that's an example. And, and, you know, not to get too far off topic, but since you brought that up, you know, you were talking about um, use of force continuums, which is our really our rules of engagement, you know, like the military. You know, there's no federal statute that covers that, you know, in the United States. These are individual, you know, states and municipalities that have those. Now, it is, you know, throughout the United States, you have the right to take someone's life if you're in fear of 
great bodily harm of death to yourself or to someone else. Now, that's pretty much standard throughout the country, but that use of force continuum, you know, can change, you know, agency to agency, you know, when you're going to implement that taser or when you're going to be able to use, you know, OC pepper spray against somebody. So um, I just want to throw that out there so people, you know, are under the uh, realization that there's no complete standard across the country for use of force from, you know, for every department. Yeah, we had a really interesting conversation. Um, I did the, the very first roundtable we did was on use of force. And I had four of the top guys in the world talking about it. And that was something that they had brought up is that, you know what, there is it, it's there is no standard for it. I mean, there's a widely accepted like, hey, this is, you know, this is the continuums. You know, this is kind of how it works. But it's more so from a theoretical level. Like you said, it comes down to the individual agency, the individual officer in that scenario. And it, uh, it's really interesting. So it's anytime these situations come up, which is why I love what you guys are doing, because it's, it's like, here's a scenario and here's how it can happen in so many different ways. And I think that's great from a training perspective. I think that's really important. It's important to show in training the why why we do this right it's to to show like listen here's here's a bunch of options i'm going to show you all of them and then you can see this is why we're training this one specific thing because it's going to give you the best possible outcome in this scenario so i uh, i really like what you guys are doing there well thank you and, and you know uh, you know, I mentioned the one about the jewelry store and that we recreated a situation like that where, uh, you know, a cop was doing a building, uh, a, a check and, and he found a burglar. You know, we also did one with a female officer and uh, we showed what happened when she did not take that shot. And now she's not just fighting somebody, but she's fighting a male officer that's, you know, taller, much bigger and stronger than she is. And they're and they're fighting over her gun because, you know, she didn't take the necessary precautions and didn't use lethal force when she could have, or, or, or I should say should have, because now they're fighting over the weapon. And it kind of hits home when you're a female and you're watching that, it kind of becomes a little bit more real for you because you try to, you kind of, it's a little closer to the home. You can kind of visualize that happen to yourself. And that's a situation you absolutely, you know, male or female, you don't want to be in, but especially for the females, you know, finding a much bigger, stronger guy, that's just a bad recipe. Yeah. I, I in the back of my mind, I just watched a video and I think it actually popped up on my Instagram, but um, I don't know if you've seen this one, but essentially there's a traffic stop. Um, there's a female officer standing at the driver's side window talking to the male um, and pretty much right when the video starts, you see the male produce a it looks to be like a silver firearm and she's essentially goes to both her hands. She goes, she grabs it and starts screaming to high heaven. The screamer. Well, have you seen Yeah. That? yeah. Um, yeah. and so, and then the, the, her, the other officer in the car eventually sees what's going on, comes in and then steps to the side, fires through the window and, and puts them down. Super interesting though, because a lot of people, when they were commenting on these, obviously social media being what it is, right? Oh, it's, you know, it's because she's a female and that's why she was screaming. And it's like, it's like, no man, like, listen, some dude, some dude pulls a gun on me. Like the, you know, it's like I, your instinct, your natural instinct is going to be to grab that firearm right and and stop it from functioning or or point it away from your body um and it's it's interesting to watch um a what happened in that scenario obviously i don't have enough information about it i just saw it um but it goes back to why was the other officer in the vehicle right why weren't they already why weren't they already up there with the suspect or at the vehicle stop? And there's a whole bunch of training things that go along with it. Uh, so it was really interesting to me. And I would like to see if you guys did something or if you had an opinion on, on something like that. Well, I definitely remember the scenario. She had a male partner that ended up putting the bad guy out of his misery. Um, there's no issue with, um, you know, the, the, uh, it was a benign situation potentially. I mean, you know, no one knew the guy was armed and, uh, and let's face it, you know, someone in the car, uh, there's nothing illegal about having a firearm, you know, in your car, depending on, you know, where the gun is at. And then of course, if you have a CCF permit, you can have it on you. But when the guy produced the firearm, you know, she's lucky, definitely lucky. I think that I don't think anyone would argue that she's lucky to be alive. Now, although she's known as the screamer because she just was screaming at such a high decibel level and so loudly, that was probably good for her because eventually her partner who was in the car heard, came out, 
he wasn't sure exactly what was going on. You could tell, but then he started running towards the car with his farm out. And, uh, and he, I think he did some headshots for the bad guy, which was beautiful execution on that. And he saved his partner's life. She was able, you know, she didn't have time to grab her firearm. She, you know, you have to have, well, let's face it, they have to have a, a lot of upper body strength to be able to, um, to fight with that guy. So I think that she predominantly used both hands. You know, she couldn't really do it with one hand and then draw her firearm and give the guy a headshot with her other hand because, you know, she was just trying to keep control of that weapon from, from you know, pointing at her and the trick, you know, and, and firing and, and killing her. So it was, it was not an ideal situation. You know, we could be here all day saying if they did it differently, had them outside of the cart first, both officers there. But um, there's so many times when, you know, they, you know, you've got a, uh, a traffic accident. I can't remember if that was an, you know, traffic accident. I can't remember what the situation was or why they, you know, had that guy. I think that the, uh, the bad guy's car was facing the cop's car. I think the cars were facing each other. I think that they were on the same side of the road. I don't remember. That's kind of unusual, but in my mind, when I'm replaying that video that they were, um, they were facing each other, I believe. So I, I think it was a benign situation that they weren't expecting anything like that to happen. Yeah. It, it, the, the reason why I asked was because obviously depending on where you are in the world or where you are even in the, in the U S depending on your, your uh, laws for your firearms, something like that would be, I mean, it, and that, like you said, he may have had that, that firearm sitting on his, on his seat or on his dash or whatever it was. He may have even let her know that he's like, yeah, I have a firearm in my vehicle. It's right here. She may have known ahead of time too. You never know. And it was interesting to me to just watch it though. Cause it, I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there. I'm like, where in this whole scenario, it's and here's the difficult part is, and, and somebody told me this a long time ago. They said, never in a million years should you go and second, like go back with information that you have and say, oh, the officer should have done this. It's like, you know what? No, guess what? They won. She's alive. Her partner's alive. The suspect's dead. They move on. That's a win, right? Like, why is there such pressure for people to analyze these types of situations to the detriment of the officer why can't we now just say listen it played out as it did it was a win like why why is there such a need for people to overanalyze these types of incidences i guess what i was getting at well i i've got i got an i got an easy answer for you actually it's a one sentence answer is because it'll save lives um there's no doubt about that in my mind i mean i think that if anyone wanted to debate that issue i think it would be a very short debate um i don't think that it's necessarily uh, the, to the detriment of the officer. Um, look, on our show, we we cover, analyze uh, videos all day long. I mean, and a lot of us, I was a defensive tactics instructor, um, fitness instructor. Um, a lot of the people on my show, they have expertise in different, in different areas. Um, when we get to the point, and this is my opinion, where we, you're so worried about hurting people's feelings. And when that can get in the way of maybe saving someone's life, I, I have a... Um, I have an issue with that. I think you can do it. I think you can do it in a classy way. Uh, we've covered uh, scenarios where, look, I get I get um, emails and calls from bad guys that we've covered scenarios in. I had uh, I had one bad guy who pulled a uh, he pulled a knife or a gun on a cop, and he was uh, he lived. I think he ended up getting shot. Went to the hospital, survived. And he told me it was just all a big misunderstanding that he watched our coverage of it, you know. So that was uh, that was that was kind of weird. Um, I have uh, other cops that praise us for our coverage of something that they did that their agency was critical of them doing, and we said, "Hey, it was good all day long," and uh, they praise us for it. And then we, I, I had one cop, I think it was out in California, that um, he um, stood in an open doorway in front of an open uh, van and pepper sprayed with a, um, you know, he had a. Um, a long gun, a long gun, but it was, uh, you know, pepper balls that he was firing, rapid firing at a bad guy. But he ended, the bad guy was armed and the, the cop who was a sergeant ended up getting shot in the leg. Now, I will tell you that I consider that cop, everybody on our show considered him a badass, that sergeant. He, he really was because he stayed in the fight even after he was shot. He stayed in the fight and he really was. However, we were critical on where he stood. He had absolutely no cover and he had time to plan where he was at. So that said, it's a learning point um, so that the next guy that is in a situation like that, that watched our video can remember, hey, I'm going to plan in advance. We're going to open up this van door. We're going to extract this bad guy out. He's got his girlfriend there, too. We're going to get her out first. 
and then we're going to extract him. But I'm going to use something for cover just in case he's armed um, because that was not taken into consideration enough to where, you know, our sergeant could have, you know, potentially got killed from that. Luckily, he was just, you know, shot in the leg and he survived. But you can always take away something. If it can help save someone's life down the line, I say that it's it's uh, far more important to do that than maybe hurting someone's feelings because there was one thing out of a hundred things they did right, there was maybe one thing they could have done slightly better. I love it. I love it. If somebody wants to get more of these videos and, and I mean, you've referenced a lot and I'm excited for that. Where can they find it at leoroundtable.com? If I'm uh, not mistaken, what, what can they expect when they get onto your website? And if they wanted to get a hold of you, where do they do that? Well, uh, good question. Uh, leoroundtable.com is the website and we've got links to our Facebook or YouTube and our Twitter from there. Um, now, our videos from the talk show, they're going to be at the top of the page. And uh, you're also going to find a section in the middle that's going to be interviews that I do of cops with amazing stories. And then towards the bottom, uh, you're going to find our Deadly Force Scenario training videos, of which we have 11. And we're actually getting ready to do some more. So that's the best way. Now, to get a hold of me, you can either do it through the website. We have a contact form on there. Or you can email me, chipdeblock at gmail.com. Awesome. Chip, listen, man, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you're a busy guy and uh, it's really cool that we had a chance to actually tee up. Um, I'm super excited for what you're doing and I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a huge supporter uh, of, of your show and what you guys do uh, moving forward. So thank you for what you do, my man. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, we should probably fly you down from Canada when we do our next set of videos, because we're always looking for a, a new bad guy that we can use a taser on. So we, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we may send you an invitation. I'll, listen, man, I'll gladly, if, uh, yeah, if you're going to cover the flights, I'll come get tased. That's fine. I'm doing that. That's a, that's a trade-off. I'm, I'm okay. It's only a five-second ride. It's much, it, it'll be worth it. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. That's, I'm, I, I'm accustomed to the 15. But yeah, five, yeah, that's good. All right, well, excellent. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, bye-bye. All right, that wraps up another episode here on Tactical Breakdown. If you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the content and finding it actionable and useful, consider subscribing to the podcast. You're going to stay up to date on all of the current events with law enforcement training around the world. And if you haven't already heard about the International Law Enforcement Training Summit, you need to jump over to ILETSummit.com. Check that out. The live version is done and gone. That took place in July 2020. But you have the ability to get lifetime access to all of the training that's been developed for a very, very, very low price. Make sure to use the promo code BREAKDOWN to save even more. Check that out at ILETSummit.com. Thanks again for being here with us at the Tactical Breakdown. And until next time, stay safe. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.